Michelle. <laughs> Hi. I'm just going around unmuting any unmuting anybody I can. I'm going to mute you, Erica. Hi, Erica. Great to see you. Somebody's unmuted. Where are you? There we go. Noel, I got you, Noel. I think so Geo OF has to go outside. Somebody else is Jewish. unmuted. Let me do that. Mute yourself, please. Okay, I'm going to mute everybody. Uh, here, I'm going to mute you all. There we go. So, good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is you. I am Eugene Cash. This is a Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. And we'll begin with a sit and then a talk and a discussion. So, please take a seated posture. And whether you're in a chair or a bench or on a cushion, as much as possible, you wanna be sitting upright on your sits bones if possible. So that there's an uprightness that begins at the base of the spine and goes all the way through the back of the neck. And then letting your attention come inward so that you become aware, sense, feel your body sitting here. We want to establish a first foundation of mindfulness which is bodyfulness. So becoming aware of the body experientially, meaning feeling it, sensing it, being aware of the aliveness that's sitting in your seat.
become mindful of whatever is here when you feel, sense, become aware of your body. Might be the shape or form. Might be the places of contact where your rear end is touching the, the cushion or the bench or the couch or the chair. Or it may be the contact of the clothes in contact with your skin. It may be the contact of one hand touching the other hand or your hands resting on your legs, on your thighs. And as you become experientially mindful of your body, be aware of the breath, the fact that the body is breathing. And it's very supportive to be aware of your life's breath. And you can be aware of the beginning of the in-breath, the middle of the in-breath, the end of the in-breath the pause or change to the out-breath, the beginning, middle, end of the out-breath. And you may notice the breath at a certain part of the body, some people at the belly, some people, the chest, rising and falling of the torso. Some people are aware of the sensations at the nostrils. Some people are simply aware of the whole body as it breathes. It's very helpful to stay very intimate with this aliveness, this breathing body. So 
beginning to bring body and mind together, unifying our consciousness with the aliveness that is sitting here. If you wish, you can stay with the body and the breath for the whole meditation, creating this sense of composure or unifying of body and mind, letting go of everything else for a while. And it's not that you're going to stop anything. There'll still be thoughts or feelings or sounds or you'll notice the mind telling you things or wanting things. And you can breathe through it, breathe with it. You don't have to stop the thoughts or the feelings or the sounds. You're already breathing through it anyways. We're simply now being mindful of the breath, the living breath, as we're, as thoughts, even though thoughts are happening or feelings are happening. And as I said, you could stay with the body and breath through all of this. Or if you feel composed, collected, centered, you can let go of the body and the breathing and simply be mindful of whatever is predominant in the space of awareness. Letting go of body and breath and being mindful of thought or being aware of feeling or emotion, or being mindful of sound. Not getting enchanted with the thoughts or the feelings or the sounds or smells or tastes, but actually being aware of them, being aware of how they arise on their own Thoughts just come, they happen, good or bad, right or wrong, interesting or not. They're just doing themselves. And we can be aware of them instead of enchanted by them, mesmerized by them, identified with them. The same with our feelings or emotions or our moods. we can begin to fall back or rest in the space of awareness itself. 
in which everything is being known, the sounds or the thoughts or the feelings or the body or the breath, it's all being known in awareness. And we could begin to rest in this experiential awareness of what's here. Moment by moment by moment. Simply staying present, awake, aware, now, in this moment, to the life that's sitting in your seat whether it's the body or the feelings or the mind or emotions, whatever is here. Staying very, very present moment by moment by moment.
we have a couple minutes for announcements. Paul, is that you? Or Michelle, it's you? Okay. Thank you, how are you doing? You're, you're on. Ring the bell. <laughs> wow, that's so beautiful, thank you. So yes, we have a couple of announcements. Sorry, I'm Michelle. I'm board members for SF Insight. And it's actually about a year since I since I came upon this lovely Sangha. And our announcements are just a reminder that Mondays we have the Midday Dharma Collective at noon. You can find the link to join the Zoom on the website and I can put that in there. And then also we have the caring group for practical support uh, and it's to support those in our Sangha who are experiencing unusual needs or hardship. And I will put the link in the, in the chat on how you can subscribe to the group. And for those that would like to offer their support, their generosity, um, whether it's um, material or effort, uh, and also those who might need some assistance, uh, there'll be directions in how to do that. And, and if you'd like to listen to these talks and others from different Sundays, we have our, all of our talks posted on Dharma Seed. I'll post the link to that. And then lastly, Donna, which is the Pali word for generosity. And I, it's almost a year ago, I had to give the talk and I was so nervous. And um, this time I'm just fresh off a retreat at Spirit Rock. And I had that experience of, you know, being directed to look within my heart and be open hearted and generosity spilled forth in a way I had not quite experienced yet. So I'm so grateful to witness that these, these teachings and the Dharma is slowly breaking down that scarcity mindset that I grew up with. And it just felt really good. And I was really happy to want to share that with you. So um, we, I will post a link and for 2,600 years, these teachings have been freely offered and the communities that supported the Buddha and the monks that are doing these teachings, um, they have offered monetary contributions, food, service, all that. And you have the option to do that as well. And our teachers are really grateful for anything that you can do to um, support this Sangha. So I will place the link. Um, and if you can be more generous, this is your time. And if it's a hard time for you right now, don't feel bad. That's that scarcity mindset that I'm getting over. So uh, we welcome you to do what you can. And another way of being generous is to give this talk. So if you'd like to one day give these Donna talks, you can email us at donnatalk at sfinsight.org. And again, I'll add things to the chat. So Eugene, I take it away. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Michelle. I mean, uh, great Donna talk. I want to add one piece. It's not just the monks who have given the Dharma, but the nuns. <laughs> so we want to stay inclusive and, and also the lay people and, and lay teachers. And it's really, uh, it's beautiful to remember the fourfold Sangha. Right, which is, you know, the monastics and the lay people. And so, hi again, everybody. Good to see you all. I haven't been, I don't think I was here last week or for a while, but 
I don't remember exactly. I won't be here next week. That's my announcement right now. Um, our good friend, uh, Victoria Carey, fellow teacher and uh, colleague. And was Victoria teaching that retreat? Yeah, yeah, great. And uh, so she'll be here. So please come in uh, and wake up with Victoria. And uh, she's good. She's, yeah, she's also part of this bigger um, uh, movement that's happening that SFI is part of, of creating a city center. And that will be with a number of Spirit Rock teachers together and we'll be part of it. San Francisco Insight and Victoria and Howard Cohn and, and uh, Anushka Fernanda Pole and uh, John Martin and I think, and Pamela Weiss and I think that's everybody. Maybe I forgot somebody, but it'll be a bigger group that we're, we're really excited about that adventure. So um, tonight I would like to, oh, I know I have another kind of announcement request. I would love to hear from you about what do you want me to talk about? And what, I, what that means is really think about a theme or two themes that you would like me to speak to in the Dharma talk and then send them in to SFI and they'll get to me. And because uh, I've given a million talks in the past 35 years or however long I've been teaching. And so uh, the hardest thing for me is to think about what to talk about because I've talked about everything. And I talk about things again, that's fine. And I do, and that's also good. But I always, I'd love to hear what, what would be helpful for you? Or what would be interesting for you? Or what would spark your practice? Or what would free your dukkha, your difficulties? And so please consider that and then send in something and let's see what happens. And so I don't know if you all saw it, but the name of the talk tonight is Elon Musk Vulnerability and Awakening. Now, and I thought that's a really different talk for me because uh, it was what I was interested in. So I thought, okay, I'll give a talk I'm interested in. And, uh, and so of course, people, friends of mine who I've spoken to said, well, why Elon? Why do you want to talk about him? And um, what happened was uh, I saw a movie about him. Really, it was about SpaceX, which, and the movie was called Return to Space. And I didn't even want to watch it. Pam, my wife, wanted to watch it. I said, okay, I'll see it. And we even watched a little, and I said, no, 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 I don't care about this. I don't want to watch it. And then we turned it on again another time, and then it got interesting. And it was about... Uh, Elon Musk and his SpaceX team, right? And you, if you don't know, he's got his own company and team called SpaceX, which is about sending people to other, to the moon or to other planets or to space. And because he thinks humans need to be a multi-planetary uh, endeavor, to be human needs to be multi-planetary. He's very inclusive spatially in that way. So, um, so we watched this and it was a, kind of amazing to see what these people have done because it's the first commercial space team. 
in that way. And they, um, they had a kind of a historic mission to, in, in 2020, to deliver astronauts to the International Space Station from the United States. And there, and we haven't, the United States hasn't done that since the Atlantis uh, uh, shuttle, uh, the flight in 2021. So that's like over 10 years ago. And so what got me interested in watching the movie was what happened while they did it and how it was accomplished, excuse me, and how he, um, he really gathers people who have a passion for what they care about and what they seek to accomplish. And he puts them together and people, it's people who make these things happen, right? And so I was impressed with his even thinking about it because commercially nobody's thought about it. It was always a government thing, you know, one country or the other, mainly Russia and the United States going to space. And I was impressed with his thinking outside the box. And, um, and it was partly, it was about um, SpaceX and partly learning more about him and about Tesla. Like one of the things I found most interesting about Tesla is there's no advertisements ever for Tesla, right? If you think about any other car company, every other car company advertises their car on TV or magazines or on the internet or, or however they do it. But he's never advertised Tesla because he thought that isn't a good use of his resources. His resource was on building a better product, right? And making the best electric car possible. And, and, um, and Tesla has changed the world now. Every car company is now going electric. Every car country, company. And, and all cars, they're saying maybe by 2025 or 2040, I can't remember the date, they're all going to go electric. There's going to be no more gas cars, which makes sense, right? And so I, I found it. And then he has all these other projects, which I learned a little bit about, which we don't have to go through, but it's the thinking outside the box of what's possible for humanity. Because I believe that the Dharma takes us outside the conventional box. And it's very, it's a very harmonious understanding with the interest for people who think outside the box in the Dharma. Because all the Dharma is doing is the most simple thing is teaching us about the simplicity of being, right? Which is like, what is that? The simplicity of being, the, and of course, that's a capital B being, right? What is it to be a human being, really? And what is it that's here, right? With the breath and the body and this moment. Right? And of course, what's here is, is magical and mysterious and wondrous. And, 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 uh, and it won't be here forever. It's magical in that way and impermanence itself of each moment arising and passing in each moment. And we ourselves will arise and pass as part of this mystery of consciousness that's embodied. 
And the Dharma is pointing us at this magic and this mystery to discover the great heart of being who and what we are, the great heart of the Dharma, the great heart of the Buddha. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's, I can talk about Elon Musk a little bit, and, you know, and the Dharma and, and vulnerability and awakening. And so what does this have to do with vulnerability, right? And I've, and I've got directed to Brené Brown. How many people know who Brené Brown is? The people, yeah, okay, number of people. So Brené Brown is, uh, what is she? She's a researcher and, uh, and a writer and a storyteller. This is what she said. And I watched her TED Talk about vulnerability and the power of vulnerability. And she said, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. And whatever you think about what Brene Brown, which was, I thought she was okay. I wasn't as impressed as I hear people are, but I'm, a, I'm kind of a New York guy and I'm a little skeptical about stuff, so. But she was, you know, good enough. And but I liked what she said, and I liked her quotes. She has good quotes, and um, and so this vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. I tied that in with Elon Musk and his vulnerability, which I had never seen before until I saw the movie, right? And the movie is very clear about his vulnerability at times, like his care and his love and his hope and his fear about what's going to happen to these two people he puts in a, in a, in a rocket and sends to the, to the uh, space station. And he's scared. And it's right there. His, his vulnerability about what he's doing is very clear. Even his tears about what he hopes will happen. Because he said, he says, the most important thing is not the accomplishment of sending people to the, the most important thing is to bring the people, is get them there safely and bring them home safely, right? And, and as I read about him a little bit, I read that, it, of course, when he was first developing the rocket, he had two failed attempts. And it said it caused him so much stress that he was, he was waking up from nightmares and screaming and in physical pain because of his concern about having to do it right, because he was going to put people in those missiles that went to the space station. And so he didn't hide his vulnerability and both the pluses and minuses of his vulnerability, meaning uh, I did find out, I wasn't so aware of this because I'm not like, haven't been following Elon Musk for the past 20 years or something, but a lot of people don't like Elon Musk. He's not their favorite person. And so, yeah, some people are shaking their heads, yeah, like, like thumbs down, yeah. And so, uh, but he puts himself out there in a real way so you can like him or not like him and you, what you're getting is who he is, right? And he has done, in my opinion, he's done some amazing things because uh, he's changed the world. And, and in thinking about vulnerability, I think of it 
um, I actually hadn't thought of it so much, but I think of it in terms of practice and what we're doing here, because we're opening up to our own vulnerability, to our own humanness, and our vulnerability is right here. And vulnerability leads to awakening. It's not that awakening leads to vulnerability. It's a little bit the other way around. Uh, one of the great Buddhist um, therapists called Sigmund Freud, he said, out of our vulnerabilities come our strength. And that's true for all of us. We learn how to open to our vulnerability, to our fear, to our distress, to our sorrow, to our grief, to our wanting and not getting what we want. We learn how to open to being vulnerable human beings, living, living a human life, which encompasses all kinds of dukkha. You know, just the most normal dukkha, like dukkha dukkha, like, you know, the, the electricity went off the other night. And so I didn't wake up on time because the electric clock stopped going off, right? And there was no... There was no alarm, right? That's just ordinary kind of dukkha, dukkha, daily dukkha, you know, and, and the dukkha of just being a human being in that way. And there are other kinds of dukkha that we live with that we're vulnerable to. It, the dukkha of impermanence, that nothing will last. No matter how much we want something to last, it won't. And that it's just, it's normal. It's not even a bad thing. It's just, that's what life is for all living creatures, right? And so out of our vulnerability, out of opening, out of, out of being mindful, out of being aware of and staying close to and feeling and sensing and living with our vulnerability, something else emerges our strength, as Freud said, or our beauty, or our kindness, our goodness, our sweetness, our love, our strength, our power, our dynamism, our, our um, ability to respond skillfully to the truth. So as I said, I watched, I watched Brené Brown, um, who's a social worker by trade, as well as a researcher. And, and she gave a, this TED talk called The Power of Vulnerability. And, I'd, and it, it helped me because I realized a lot of my colleagues refer to her material, right? Because they, I, and so the other thing I did, I said, oh, I wonder what anybody else says about vulnerability. So I looked it up in some, some of my Dharma resources. Actually, I was surprised how many talks there are about vulnerability and the path of vulnerability and the this and that, especially my friend Tara Brock. She's a big vulnerability person. She had a lot of talks about vulnerability. And uh, Howie Cohn also had a whole talk, The Path of Vulnerability. I've known Howie for 40 years. I've never heard him talk about vulnerability, but it's, it's a Dharma topic, partly because of Brené Brown. And, and her perspective about courage and the connection between courage and vulnerability and the courage to be vulnerable. And, the, and I hear it a little differently. What that means to me is it's the courage to be real, 
to be who we are really, not have to be better or more than or something different. And recognizing the importance of our inherent vulnerability, that, that it's inherent in us as human beings, that there's <clears throat> what Ajahn Suchito, who also talks about vulnerability, and I know Suchito, I, I was so surprised to see him talking about it. He talked about the he, what he called the truth of birth-death as one thing. He always puts them together, the truth of birth and death. Right, and that our vulnerability comes from that birth death reality that all of us are here and all of us are going to die, and that's just normal, that's also inherent for all living creatures. And so, personally, I was aware as I'm writing the talk of my own vulnerability and the vulnerability of people around me, and I had. in this last month, a good friend died, a friend and colleague in the Diamond Approach um, who died. And, uh, and I was on his caring bridge, you know, site, getting the messages from his family about what was happening and how he was doing. And it was very quick. I mean, really horribly quick in that way where he got the diagnosis and then they were going to do this and do that and do this for cancer. And and then it was like, no, this didn't work, this didn't work, this. And then it was like, and then hospice was there, like very quickly. It wasn't like, oh, he had cancer for six months or nine months or two years or three. It was a month, maybe six weeks at tops. And... Um, And the last note from his partner said this, I thought I'd read it to you because you hear the vulnerability of it. She wrote, the heart of my soul was laid to rest last Tuesday. And it was attended to by a small circle of family and a few dear friends. And she said, there are many, many layers of feelings to be felt, integrated, released. Thank you all for your loving support through Caring Bridge, emails, cards, letters, flowers, prayers sent through the atmosphere. And then talking about her husband, she said, he would be pleased if you remember Rumi's words. And the poet, Persian poet Rumi said, your acts of kindness are iridescent wings of divine love which linger and continue to uplift others long after your sharing. Your acts of kindness are iridescent wings of divine love, which linger and continue to uplift others long after your sharing. And she ends, she says, please keep kindness in the center of your heart toward yourself and towards others with great love. She signs off. And so the vulnerability of being human is just inherent and it's normal. It's not a mistake. And so I have been living with my, the loss of my friend. And then my oldest friend, just about oldest friend, I've been friends at least 
50 years with this friend of mine, uh, had a stroke uh, two days ago. And it was the kind of stroke where he wasn't sure if he had a stroke or not, but his brother-in-law, who's a doctor, said, go to, go to the hospital, check it out. He went to the hospital, spent eight hours in the hospital. They wanted to keep him overnight, but they couldn't find a bed. Finally, he goes, finally he leaves at like one in the morning because he's tired and he just wants to go to sleep and they can't find a bed. And so you hear the vulnerability in all of that right? He has a stroke. It's not clear. He goes to the hospital. He can't get seen really and treated, except they, they get that if something happened, he has to stay. And then they can't serve him because of, they're too busy. And, and he goes home. And then I talk to him and he's, and he's having migraines now uh, since that started in the hospital. So he's suffering and you hear this, all this vulnerability of, of being human, right? These are all things that happen if you have a body because bodies don't last forever. And I felt so much love for him because I've known him forever. We've been friends forever. And yeah, I mean, I could tell a lot of stories, but, but really it was just very moving to hear his vulnerability uh, with this stroke. And then the kind of vulnerability I felt, because he said, oh, it, he said nothing really happened except he got up and he was dizzy and he almost fell over and it took him a while to retain his balance. That was the main symptom of the stroke, something like that. And I was walking this morning and I was feeling, I, I didn't sleep well last night. You know, I, yeah. And so I had really not enough sleep and I'm usually pretty good with sleep, but I was up at four in the morning. I couldn't get back to sleep and I went out for a walk. I took a long walk and I could feel myself being unsteady. And I felt my own vulnerability, especially given what just happened with my friend and what to do, slow down relax, even on my walk, I had to slow down and just see, okay. And then of course it was finally go home, right? Even though I wanted to keep taking my walk because it was a beautiful morning early and, and, uh, and I like to get a little exercise. So, and um, yeah. And so this, uh, partly I'm saying it personally for you to reflect on your own vulnerability because, and if I quote Brené, Brené Brown, she said, vulnerability is not weakness. I define vulnerability as emotional risk, exposure, uncertainty. She continues, she said, it fuels our daily lives. It's part of being alive is how I hear what she's saying. And of course, Sayadaw he doesn't use the word vulnerability, but he just says, it's okay to feel indecisive, confused, or restless. Look at the mind, look at this mind state and try to learn from it. Try to learn from it means, how do you apply the Dharma to when your heart and mind is like that? 
Can you be kind? Can you see this as normal? Can you uh, be skillful in how you work with whatever's happening in your heart and mind instead of criticizing yourself or being judgmental or, or adding some kind of dukkha to the vulnerability you're experiencing? Because feeling our vulnerability opens us. It really opens us. And it, some of us want to avoid our vulnerability and sometimes we're overwhelmed by it, which isn't skillful either. And sometimes some people just deny it, right? Like they're never vulnerable. But the paradox is that to metabolize uh, our life as it is opens up to the goodness of being alive, right? And opens us to metabolize both the goodness of life and include the suffering of what is here personally and universally. Uh, Masaba Gupta said this, she said, embrace your vulnerability and celebrate your flaws. It will let you appreciate the world around you and make you more compassionate. And Masaba Gupta is a fashion designer. And I was thinking about all of this in the context of our world right now. What does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to be vulnerable during a war, right? That we're all aware of. Anybody not aware of the war, right? Because this is the first internet war that I'm really aware of, right? The first war that's immediate and, and visual almost moment by moment at times. But each day, everything is coming boom, boom. If you just read you know, a newspaper online, it's right there. Or if you go to whatever sources you go to and get to get news and, and you get the visuals of the war, right? And we all feel or we, we all could feel our vulnerability with this kind of intimacy of war because it's right here and it's so like quick. And it's not different than any of the other wars around the world. I'm not trying to say that, but, but this one's getting a lot of play, especially because it's one of the great big powers in the world, which is Russia and their war with the Ukraine. And part of the vulnerability is seeing the suffering that people are having and, and realizing on some level, this could be, uh, it's just, this could be us. This is happening to, it's really just a simple twist of fate. I really appreciate that metaphor, a simple twist of fate that we're not at war and that other people are, right? And it's very powerful that it's this internet war. And I remember the, the first real media war in my experience was the Vietnam War. The Vietnamese War was on TV. And I was old enough and watched the news with my parents or whoever. And it was, it was all right there. And we're seeing the horror of war. And it changed my life and it changed the whole world to see it on TV. And I don't yet know, we don't yet know how this war will change the world on the internet. And 
And the question comes up for us is what is right action given that the world is at war? And what is it right for each of us, both individually and collectively? And so, and I was reflecting on right action, right? And I'm thinking about the prayers and metta and loving kindness and sending goodwill into the world of war and what kind of actions might kind of, might be uh, important in addition to sending our love into the world. How do we, how do we uh, send our determination into the world, which we did in the Vietnamese war as a young person that was in the foreground of my life and what I did and what my actions were. And, it, and I didn't have a lot of money, so I wasn't sending money to people, but I did do radical political street theater in the 60s that was totally anti-war. And I was in all kinds of places doing it, including many demonstrations, which were very explosive, the demonstrations. And, and it's different at this point. I'm not going out in the street to protest about the war or to do something, but there are other ways, given our roles and who and what we are, that we can act to help in whatever way we can to stop the war. Um, one of my friends, who's a Mexican woman, and she's has been studying multi-generational trauma. And she told me an interesting story uh, in relation to Putin, to Vladimir Putin, who's the head of the Russian, uh, I don't know, dictatorship. I don't think it's a democracy, it's a government, let's just say that. And she told me the story about a fellow named you, uh, William Huey, who negotiates for the US government. And, uh, and he was interested in Putin. And, and, and he knew a lot about Putin. He'd studied a lot about Putin because he'd been negotiating between Afghanistan and the US and Russia and the Ukraine. And um, he told a story to Hillary Clinton that he found out about Putin. And the story is this, that during the siege of Leningrad, which is World War II, now we're going back even before my birth, but World War II, and the, 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 uh, Russia was attacked by Germany, and there was a big siege in the, in the city of Leningrad. And there was this one man who was in the army, but he wanted to go back to his village and, and find his wife. And he goes back, and as he goes back, he encounters a pile of bodies and a guy with a truck trying to put them all together to dump them in a grave. And he sees this, and he sees his wife's shoes in this pile. And you hear the horror of this for this man. And he tells the guy, he says, wait, 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 my wife's body is in here. Let me find my wife's body so I can bury her alone. And the guy lets him look and looks and he finds the, he begs the guy, he get he, he, and, um, and he finds his wife and he gets her and he discovers she's not dead. She's still alive. She's, I don't know how alive, but she's still alive. And he takes her and takes her back to the village and helps her heal and she heals. And the war after the war, and they're together. And after the war, they both survive. 
and they have a baby, and the baby is Vladimir Putin. So this is the history of his lineage, right? From his, and from what my friend who's studying, you know, intergenerational trauma, that's what she was pointing me at about Putin. Because she said, one of the things people sometimes do is they totally deny their vulnerability because it's too traumatic to open to it. And that was one of her ideas about it. And I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I thought it was very interesting given we all have so many reactions to people we don't like. We don't see their vulnerability. And it's the same is true for dictators or people we don't like. We may not like them, but they may be traumatized in some way, shape or form where they act inhumanly. And we wanna stop that, but we also want to awaken through our own vulnerability and seeing the vulnerability of the world so that we can understand what's true and respond skillfully. And there was a quote I sent out when I, about vulnerability, it's from Mothering Magazine. It said, dependence, insecurity, and weakness are the, are the natural states for all of us at times. Just as we grow from crawling to walking, babbling to talking, as humans, we move from weakness to strength, from uncertainty to mastery. And the problem with not being aware of our vulnerability is we fake the mastery by using a certain kind of power that is not kind, which any dictator uses. And then I have a last quote from one of my teachers, Karen Johnson. She's talking about, about vulnerability. She says, imagine a sense of graceful and subtle presence that imbues your consciousness with an exquisite refined precision, precision and its refinement and, and tenderness were gracefully divine. Its refinement and tenderness were gracefully divine. It has the power to defrock us of our defenses and opens us to the wisdom of our ordinary undramatic humanity with all its vulnerability. Right, so she's pointing at a graceful, subtle presence that imbues consciousness and starts to release our defenses and opens us to the wisdom of our ordinary undramatic humanity with all its vulnerability. And she goes on, she says, being vulnerable is, the, is a way to being because transparency in our individual consciousness in its sheer state is necessary for the marriage of our consciousness with true nature, with, our, with the truth of who and what we are. Defenselessness is threatening, even seems foolish when all you want to do is survive. For spiritual awakening, however, it is a necessity. And she's pointing to the radicalness of what it means to open our hearts 
and open our minds and open to the reality of our vulnerability so that we can begin to discover the depth and beauty and goodness of what's right here. So those are some thoughts from Eugene this evening. And I would like to hear your thoughts, opinions, reactions, liking, not liking, questions. <clears throat> Please raise your hand in the, uh, I've got a raised hand bottom on a uh, button in the bottom of my Zoom, Zoom screen. And if you raise your hand, I think it looks like that. You see how now I have a raised hand on my, on my screen. And of course, what about your vulnerability? Are you vulnerable? Do you know that you're vulnerable? What way are you vulnerable? How has being open to your vulnerability impacted you or not impacted you? Julia. Um, I've been thinking like this is something that has um, been very present in my life for the last few weeks. And I think I've been thinking about it very much in terms of trust, in terms of like building trust in a team so that people can be real and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, the difficulty is that within this particular team where there's been a lot, there's been, um, a lot of lack of communication. There's been a lot of lack of trust and hence a lack of vulnerability, right? A lot of things that aren't being said, a lot of things that aren't being brought to the table. Right. Um, and there's one particular person who's very fragile because of his inexperience with vulnerability, right? With, mm -hmm. Because of his inexperience with like both interfacing with his own emotions and then trying to meet yeah. somebody else's emotions, right? right. And in my work with this individual, and I'm getting a lot of support um, from very emotionally intelligent people. So I'm not like going this alone. Um, mm -hmm. But in my work with this individual, I'm really, I feel like what is most exa emotionally exhausting for me mm -hmm. is trying to be very inquisitive and very like come from a place of of wonder, right? Both like questions, I have questions that I wonder about and like being just mm -hmm. open um, and to really understand like the things that are hard for him, right? The places mm -hmm. where he, he's been hurt. Mm -hmm. um, while also like being very real with the fact that the impact of his fragility, mm -hmm. um, it's it his fragility is having a very <clears throat> negative impact, right? On, because, it's a combination of fragility and entitledness, right? It's like, oh, I feel that I've been hurt and now I can yell at everyone or, oh, I feel that I've been hurt and now I can just right. ice people so, out. So right. you're seeing the defensiveness that comes with vulnerability that's unacknowledged. And I want to make space for his needs to right. start to, to make the space, space feel safe enough that he can start to be vulnerable. And I also right. need the harm to stop. 
right? Yeah, right. So, okay. So what are the skillful means that you need to use to both help him and contain him? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's what I'm hearing is needed. How can you help him um, be a little more comfortable with his vulnerability so that he doesn't have to defend against it in the kind of way where he's attacking people. Because if we think uh, that um, Mr. Putin is, has this multi-generational trauma and he's acting out of it, how do we help him, first of all, see it and then, and then stop acting out of it, or first stop acting out of it, and then we help him see it, right? Because it's more important right now that we help him, we stop him, if at all possible, uh, because it's dukkha that he's putting into the world. Now, your person is, I don't know the circumstances of where you are. It's, not, it's a business, I assume, of some kind, or an organization, a company, is that right? Middle school. We are a math department in a middle school. Got it. Okay. So then, uh, and if he's a math teacher, then I would really try to use mathematics to help him because he probably understands mathematics. So I would even speak to him and here's what we're trying to do. We need two plus two to equal four. But if you keep putting in this extra thing because you're defensive, it's not helping people see it's just two plus two because they're reacting to your having a hard time with this. So I want, you know, you hear how I'm talking, like use language that he would understand that yeah. makes sense and, and use your own kindness and your own strength and clarity to help him get it. Yeah. And you're not in control. That's true. And that's part of your vulnerability because you're not. I mean, even as good as you could wish to help him, we want to do the best we can. And it's very important to know we're not in control. And so then the vulnerability is how do you deal with your own vulnerability in this situation, right? that make sense what I said? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think even in terms of like meeting him where he's at and the language that he understands, like the idea that we've, we have finally gotten to the point that he is very, like he said in his, from his own voice with his own words, it's important that we build trust in the math department, which is like, oh my God, it's brilliant yeah. that we've gotten that far. And I feel like that's, that's language that I can keep working with, right? Yeah. In terms Great. of these kinds of outputs they're preventing yeah. us from building trust, right? Yeah. This is where we need to contain things first so we can build that trust. So now we can we can do this work. Yeah. Right? And Great. definitely the piece of me trying to figure out how to look after myself. That's, I think that's the key thing is realizing like how exhausted I become in dealing with this and how I, I start right. to move towards anxiety and questioning myself and feeling unsure when none of that's at play here. I, I know I'm getting a lot of feedback that I'm doing a really good job Right. right. And that's what I, I can, I know I can't control the outcome, but I do want to feel like I'm doing a good job. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's clear you are, and you may do a really good job and you may fail because mm -hmm. that's also part of the deal. Yeah. But um, we're, 
us all sending you our good wishes that you don't fail, that it succeeds. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. Oh, who else? Oh, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi. It just reminds me this idea of vulnerability of what I've heard in the teachings of um, a strong back and soft front or soft heart or open heart and how mm -hmm. um, I've been on the Brene Brown train for a bit, not lately, but it's definitely been in part of my wheelhouse. Uh, and yes, to soften and to let people see me not being strong has been one of the biggest strengthening exercises I've experienced. And it also, I, I appreciate your desire to bring in inclusivity um, from my talk and then throughout your talk. And it reminds me how um, just our cultural sensitivities don't allow men to be as vulnerable as women stereotypically and how there's just more movements to let men be that way. And it just, I always, my heart softens for that lack of, you know, generosity that we can give to, to all right. groups. Right, no, it's really important. It's important uh, in terms of gender, but it's important every which way, right? In, in all the differences to, to the, I mean, that's why I bring in somebody like Putin and their vulnerability. And I brought it in before about Trump and it's the hardest thing for people to take in because a lot of people might not like these people. Like a lot of people don't like Elon Musk and there might be good reason for it I'm, again, but, um, but he's just a person actually doing the best he can. And that's true for all people. In my understand, my in my understanding, that's totally true. And when we get that, it lets something relax in us because we share that same vulnerability of doing the best we can and not being perfect at any of it, or it's in you know, or some of it. Right. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed your retreat. <laughs> and your cat is included toast totally <laughs> uh, and your husband too <laughs> who else I can see those of you who are thinking about raising your hands and those of you who, who are, uh, Amy. Um, I actually had the same thought about the stiff back and the soft front, but also I wanted to, um, it's a comment, but it's also a talk suggestion. Sure. Um, I'd love just to hear a talk based on and both. You know, so for, oh, yeah. so for example, I hear so much about keeping with the tradition of Buddhism, but then there's also things that need to be modernized, you know, so uh -huh. and uh -huh. I feel like there's so much, um, it's so easy, you know, with the internet and all this information to become polarized and we yeah. forget about, you know, what 
Putin has been through or that there's another side of Trump or that, you know, yeah. that, that there's that and both and both. Yeah, and yeah, both, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd like, yeah. I'd like to see you, see your take. Yeah. Yeah, well, part, here's what I hear also when we do the envo. It's like, how do we come closer to the paradox of the truth? Because it's not one or the other, and it's not both, and it's not neither both. I mean, it's always, a, you know, when I think of fourfold sangha, this isn't that, but I think of four things. I think there's usually we think it's A or it's B, or it's A and B, or it's not A or B, mm -hmm. right? And all of those become rigid, and that's what we're letting go of. It is A, it is B, it is A and B, and it's neither A and B. And that's a, actually a traditional teaching in Buddhism. And let me find some more about that uh, traditionally. It's very beautiful understanding of the nature of reality is not fixated, right? And that's why we're open to understanding, well, what's the A view? What's the B view? What's the A and B view? And what's the neither A and B view, right? Because they're all true. And that's hard for our logical way of thinking to get. And it's like, I mean, I, we could even, we could just play with it in this moment. Like you're here, I'm here. You're not really here. You're on Zoom, right? <laughs> I'm not really here either for you because I'm on Zoom. And neither of us are here. And there's, a whole, and, the, and there's this whole other level where neither of us are here. There's just consciousness arising all on its own. And the, the me and you, right, is just made up, mm -hmm. right? Do, do you remember before there was me or you? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun time. We used to have a good time before me and you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but even 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 thinking about um, you know the instructions for how to meditate is very uh -huh. much along those lines. You know, uh -huh. uh, com you know, completely relaxed and alert, practicing right. but not practicing. Right. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. What I mean to, yeah. By the hand. Yeah. Like, right. No mindfulness. Pay attention to this, 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 and this, and then don't do anything. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. And so it's pointing at something about the nature of reality itself. That's juicy to me, right? Yeah, okay, good, 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 good. Okay, I wrote that down, both and. Now I got to come up with a talk for that. <laughs> but I'll, I'm going to do my best, really. That's very good. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? Come on, nobody else vulnerable here? There we go, white tiger. Which white tiger am I talking to tonight? You've got to unmute, Miss Tiger. Um, you can't unmute? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay, um, I was thinking about the connection between vulnerability and trust. Uh -huh. And I think that it's such a beautiful 
and meaningful and necessary connection. Um, and I was thinking about a retreat I was on at Spirit Rock some years ago when I had been sick and I was not, I didn't want to be vulnerable. And so I wasn't trusting myself. I wasn't trusting my doctor. I wasn't trusting anything anybody was telling me I should do or not do. And I got up there and um, we did Qigong every morning and every afternoon. And Teja yeah. Bell would say, Teja, feel yeah. and trust. <laughs> and it hit me like, like somebody stabbed me right in the solar plexus. And I thought, oh my God, I'm not doing either of those. And it's time to take that on. That's to great. feel what's going yes. on with my body and my mind and to trust what's here yes. right now. So that beautiful. was a huge, huge change. Right. That's beautiful because it's really, it's like that's, vulnerability opening to awakening yeah right because because it's all right here i'm pointing at you on my screen right but it's all right here the whole dharma is right here and to come get closer and closer and closer to the truth of what's here right and trust it even when we don't like it you weren't liking what was happening. And so that kind of relaxing and trusting opens us to the truth, to, to what's possible, to our true nature. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, I thought somebody else had their hand up too, but maybe not. Okay, I'm gonna go back to gallery view. Gallery, no. Okay, well, maybe it's 7.30. Where are we? Oh yeah, we're good. Okay, everybody, I'm gonna, we'll do a little sharing of merit and then I'll ring the bell. Again, Victoria Carey next week. I'll be here in two weeks. Please take good care and, uh, and uh, be curious about your vulnerability when you recognize it and see what happens as you stay close to yourself, close to what's true. So offering our good wishes, our appreciation that we've got the blessings and good fortune to be here in this place right now that isn't at war and that we can be here on the internet and study the dharma study the truth and discover who and what we are and may this good fortune go out in every direction touching beings in every realm in every world May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from dukkha, from misunderstanding their vulnerability and acting unskillfully. May all beings be free and wake up to their true nature, their Buddha nature. May all beings be free.
Francisco. Bye, Bye Robert. Thank you. Bye, Fiona. Bye, Bye, Bye Michelle. Thank you. Bye, Amy. Take care. Bye, Dorothy. Bye, Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Isabel. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Eugene. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Oh, bye, Happy. Good to see you in your car, always. <laughs> bye, Clint. <laughs> bye, Isabel. Bye. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Allison. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.